0: Major funding for Telehell is provided by Dave's Archives. If you're looking for retro commercials from the 50s all the way up to the 90s and possibly some points beyond in the future, turn to Dave's Archives. Also home to the TGIF live stream on Friday nights, go to davesarchives.com. By Retrocirc on YouTube. Home to the Off Duty Mind Players and all those off-air commercials that he likes to put up so much from the 80s and 90s. Go to YouTube and type in Retro spelt with a Q at the end. And by the continuing financial support of our patrons at patreon.com slash including Mr. Cheeseball, Rick Colacki Jr., Robert Marquez, Chris Michaud, Meredith Morrissey, and Neil Weinstein. Thank you.
1: Stay tuned after the feature for a special
0: message. And now, our feature presentation. So, in case you missed it last time, we covered a TV adaptation of a John Hughes movie that resonated with teens of the 1980s. Here's where Cameron goes berserk. Suffice to say, I didn't like it, and thankfully, neither did those who saw it on TV the first time it aired. Unfortunately, because we live in a world full of tragic coincidences, Ferris Bueller was not the only John Hughes property to be placed inside of TV's bottomless chum bucket in the year of 1990. Hey! How you doing? Who are you? I'm your Uncle Buck. Do I
2: have an uncle? Unfortunately.
3: And now. It's where TV meets torture. This is Tele-Hell.
0: As John Hughes' career continued to evolve, so did the kind of movies that he would write and direct. After conquering the teen demographics in the mid-80s, it only seemed like a natural evolutionary step that the stories that he would pen next would cater to those who grew up and we're ready to face adulthood.
3: Will thou provide her with credit cards and a four-bedroom, two-and-one-half-bath
1: home?
0: Will thou listen patiently to long stories about kids' colds, kitchen towel
1: clothes, shoes, make a pair of sore feet, and decorate her six-foot covers?
3: I will.
0: I pronounce that Kristen and Jefferson are husband and wife. Movies like Planes, Trains and Automobiles and She's Having a Baby were the first step in showcasing more mature hues of the pen and pad. A maturity that would continue to evolve later on in films like The Great Outdoors, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, and various other movies that would appeal more to traditional family audiences. But before all of that would happen, 1989 would bring the release of a family that, if you pardon the pun, bucked hard on what a traditional family could be.
2: We have a problem with the kids.
0: We're stuck for somebody to watch them.
2: Oh, please, not that. Can we trust him?
1: My brother, for God's sake. I won't let him get into that Satan stuff or any of the new chicks. I'll leave that for me.
0: The tale of how the black sheep of a Chicago family tries to pull his weight for them in the face of a family crisis with hilarious results. Uncle Buck was yet another one of those John Hughes movies that you'd practically see on cable TV these days just by batting an eye. And a major reason for this movie's success falls squarely on the head shoulders of the man in the title role second city
1: really did it for me you know uh, i was working in toronto doing commercials uh, underground theater
0: second city just uh, i really grew up when i went there in a lot of ways i uh Of all the people that I wish were still on the mortal plane, John Candy is way up there. Even if the movie that he appeared in was less than entertaining, the way that he would combine his everyman facade with lumbering lovability pretty much made him a scene stealer in just about everything that he did especially when put to use in a John Hughes movie. And Uncle Buck was no exception. Not unlike Ferris Bueller's Day Off, this too was a movie that was made with a minuscule budget that wound up making back more than its fair share when it was released in 1989. Unlike Ferris, however, his critics were less kind. Sure, there was some favorability to be found, but back in the day, the fate of a movie usually fell on the shoulders of that other Chicago icon of cinema, Roger Ebert, who not only gave the movie one and a half stars out of four, but also lamented that, quote, Hughes is usually the master of the right note, the right line of dialogue, and this time there's an uncomfortable undercurrent in the material, end quote, further citing that this was considerably bitter for a John Hughes movie. Gee, bitter you say?
1: well 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 they certainly are scraping the bottom of the barrel for cheerleaders these days stand me up today and tomorrow i'll drive you to school in my robe and pajamas and walk you to your first class (laughs) you ever hear of a ritual killing (laughs) i'll
4: die before i go anywhere with you it's gonna be fun they have rent issues and rent a foot disease does anyone
1: in this house know how to keep a promise
0: i don't see it Still though, the movie proved to be popular enough that just like vultures in the desert, it was only a matter of time until one of the TV networks swooped in to pick at its carcass. And since NBC already had its hands full with a show that used John Hughes characters to the most minimal of requirements. This is television this is real. This left the other three networks. America's watching ABC. No, not ABC because they actually had comedies that were worth watching at that point. And with the newly established TGIF lineup around that time, why spoil a good thing?
4: You're watching Fox.
0: No, not Fox because they were still aiming for younger audiences and family comedies didn't quite fit their agenda. That only leaves one other place. telegraphed this point before but at the turn of the 1990s CBS was not doing too well. A recent change in ownership following the retirement and subsequent passing of network founder William Paley started a downhill trend for the network. Not counting sports programming or the long-running 60 Minutes, CBS had reached a point in its history where the network skewed much older than it did back in the time when it was TV's most watched network from the 50s through the 70s. Ever the traditionalist, the network kept on putting out what they felt was the tried and true and would periodically slip into third place because of it. And because of that, the network was only too eager to try to shake itself away from... Jerry ActraVision by putting on shows that would hopefully appeal to the same audience that they were losing to. For some reason, they thought that a small-screen adaptation of what Roger Ebert considered to be a bitter comedy would be the magic bullet for the i-Network later that year. But perhaps if the overall story was to be softened up a little, maybe it could become palatable to a TV audience. That was the task that a writer named Tim O'Donnell was slated to accomplish. O'Donnell is another one of those journeymen of television who would lend a hand to various TV staples, either as a writer, director, or producer, most notably for shows like Growing Pains, Dave's World, and a slightly better movie-to-TV adaptation in Clueless. He would be the one to try and condense material like this... We
1: can talk about burying the hatchet. You know what a hatchet is, don't you, Bug? I got one in the car if you'd like to see it. I like to carry it, you know. You never know when you're gonna need it.
0: Into something that would be watchable for 22 episodes. Of course, as is the case with any adaptation, not everything is going to be 100% faithful to the original. After all, TV budgets and movie budgets tend to have a vast gulf between each other. But despite the budget... The overall goal is to try to be as faithful to the source material as you possibly can while maintaining its integrity. In other words, there was no way in here that they were ever going to get John Candy to reprise his role. But that doesn't mean they couldn't have found somebody who was, at the very least, some kind of a simulation.
4: My mother said to me, why do you buy them raccoon codes? (laughs) That's the third one this year that froze in the headlight. (laughs) Taking them up to the mountains during hunting season and sending them out at midnight for ghost milk. That's not right.
0: Lo and behold, another late great that I wish was still with us. Kevin Meaney, one of those comedians comedians who never quite achieved levels of superstardom, but always appeared everywhere throughout the decades. Meaney got his start performing at various comedy clubs in Boston until 1986 when he caught a couple of big breaks first with HBO specials, then in a series of bit performances on season 12 of SNL, until one year later when he would get what many comedians thought was the ultimate validation, a stand-up set on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. I
4: don't care, I don't care. My jokes don't go over, I don't care. Everybody, I don't care. I don't, he yes, don't care.
0: I don't care. From there, Meany would wind up as a durable guest star in a number of TV shows through the years. But perhaps the most coveted achievement for any comedian to have was to star in his or her own sitcom. Granted, comparing him to the likes of John Candy would be akin to comparing apples to Volkswagens. And we do remind you that TV budgets and movie budgets fast wildly as is the case when they cast the rest of Uncle Buck's family, aka the secret weapon as to why the movie was so successful. After all, kids are natural-born scene-stealers, and nowhere was this more evident than the breakout performances given by Jean Louisa Kelly as oldest daughter Tia, Gabby Hoffman as youngest daughter Maisie, and most notably, Macaulay Culkin as middle child Miles. A performance so notable that John Hughes wound up using him again for another movie down the line. Guess which one? Ah! So, not unlike the John Candy slash Kevin Meany switch-up, different child actors would be needed to hopefully capture lightning in a bottle once again. After all, who needs kids like them when you have the durability of such child actor luminaries as... Jacob Gelman. Sarah Martinek. And Davi Choden. Okay, child actors don't have to be brand names, but it'd be nice if these kids were known for other things either before or beyond nineteen ninety. Finally, there's the matter of the kids' parents, who call on Uncle Buck to help the family out. Only instead of whoever they got to play them in the movie, they would be replaced by... No one. Why no one? because the powers that be behind the show made one distinctive creative change that was different enough from the movie that might've allowed for possible expansion in storylines. Also, it seemed to be a very popular plotline on sitcoms of the 80s and 90s. Simply put, they killed off the parents in an off-screen car accident, and now Uncle Buck is constantly fighting to be the kid's legal guardian. And since it takes two to fight, somebody has to come in to spar with him. Enter a TV legend.
3: Listen, Ralph, I did not spend that money on clothes, and you know it. Besides, how far do you think $62 a week will go? Will
4: you shut your big mouth and stop yelling my salary? I don't want the neighbors to know how much I'm making.
2: $62 a week! $62 a week! Will you stop that? I don't want my
4: salary to leak out.
3: <laughs> your salary couldn't drip out. <laughs> Who
0: else but a veteran of getting into verbal fist fights with the overweight could be cast as the children's grandmother, as yet another late great, Audrey Meadows, would do whatever it took to make this TV adaptation somewhat watchable. Of course, it doesn't matter how good or how bad a show is, as long as it's given a cushy enough time slot, it could practically run for years without anybody batting an eye which makes things all the more baffling as to why CBS decided to air the show on Monday nights opposite MacGyver on ABC and another show on NBC that would happen to debut the same night that this one will.
2: Now this is a
0: story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. Talk about going into battle with confidence. And forgive me for being about a few months late to make this joke, but we'll see how the TV version of Uncle Buck got smacked in the ratings. After the break.
1: Have you bought your season's tickets yet for the Toronto Argonauts? No? Well, you should. You know, I I got mine earlier, but... This place over here, I just bought some tickets over here, Seasons tickets. It should be fabulous. Very inexpensive, too. A man out front sold them to me for a a few million lira for one seat. He said it's a very good seat. I haven't seen it yet, but but they're very nice here. He took my watch and is going to go get it repaired right now. Should be back any time. Stay tuned after the feature for a special message.
3: This week on Telehell's premium content of the Dam. Monkeys are those little weirdos with the long tails begging for coins to support their banana habit. Chimpanzees are members of the great ape family. My idol had always been King Kong, and I hoped to have carried on my own career in the great tradition that he established years ago. <laughs> <laughs> The only way to listen to Telehell's premium content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Podcast For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. And now... Back to this week's torture.
0: September 10th, 1990. The conflict in Iraq continues to escalate to a full-scale war. 70s hit song, The Joker by Steve Miller Band, would return to the top of the charts in the UK for some reason. And at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central. Given the choice between two new sitcoms, viewers would rather have watched NBC that night. Because over on CBS. Oh, you suck. And we're off and running. Granted, in the movie, the little girl was much more verbose. Why was your uncle microwaving your socks? He
2: can't get the goddamn washing machine to work. Blasphemer!
0: Oh, and uh, by the way, be prepared for a lot of compare and contrast here between movie and show. Unfortunately, it just seems inevitable.
4: Maisie! That's a term we don't use in this house. You're
2: right. I should have called a booger ball. <laughs> Maisie. But he called me a freckle
4: butt, and I don't have freckles on my butt. They are beauty marks. Maisie, can we put your butt on the back burner for just a sec?
0: Back to the suck issue. Where the hell do you pick up language like that anyway? And already I can see this is going to be a problem. The biggest problem I can see right in front of me, John Candy and Kevin Meany were both very funny people, on their own, left to their own devices. But John Candy played by Kevin Meany? You might as well drink water out of a Coke can. But it's only the first minute, let's move on.
2: Buck, you're losing weight, aren't you?
0: <laughs> In more ways than one. Hell, he's lost so much weight that I think he's starting to look like a different actor entirely.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I gotta meet your dates. There's no give on that one.
4: But Uncle Buck, you're stepping on my private life. I'll be stepping on more than that if I don't like this guy. <laughs>
0: Even more stepping if this guy just happens to be named Bug. You're not a gnat, are you, Bug?
1: Wait a minute, Bug? Gnat? Is there a little similarity there? Oh, I think there is.
4: (laughs) You understand what I'm talking about? So I tell you what I'm going to do. I move the poker game here tonight so I can watch the kids.
2: Uncle Buck, that's great. I take back every disgusting thing I ever said about you.
4: No meeting this David at the concert. He comes here. I give him the once over, and if he's a slime bucket, I flush him.
2: (laughs) Sound fair? Has anyone
4: ever mentioned that you're incredibly crude?
0: Almost everyone. As we wonder if we have to dig out the non-canonical soundbite once again, because, let's face it, it is, our counterfeit Uncle Buck chugs down a tube of mustard. Mustard? Don't let's be silly! Followed immediately by our title sequence, as well as further proof to the theory that bad TV shows often have a good title sequence, or at the very least, some good elements about it, as we see several different homages to the original movie, including the scene where Uncle Buck makes a giant pancake with a shovel to his exhaust-spewing, backfiring car polluting everything in sight. But that's second to the fact that the theme song to this show is sung by one of the all-time greats and country music. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Ronnie
4: Millsap!
0: Unfortunately, one silver lining that's pretty much there for window dressing is not going to help matters much. Seeing all those homages to the movie is just going to make people want to watch the movie more. As evident as Act 1 begins with Uncle Buck cleaning the house to some classic R&B when a well-dressed lady in a suit comes in. See, the reason I called
4: was I was hoping you could move up the October insurance payment. No problem. Without telling Mrs. Hogabone.
3: Ooh, that's a problem.
4: Well, see, uh, unexpected expenses came up. You know, unexpectedly. And uh, (laughs) I need to play this Hunch I have. So you see my problem here.
2: I sure do. But you
4: know, Buck, perhaps we might work something out. Like what? Well, we're both consenting adults. I bet we could come up with something if we put our heads together. Gotta
0: get the phone. And this would be a good time to bring up another removal from the movie. That of Uncle Buck's girlfriend, Shanice. Originally played by Amy Madigan, the movie built her up as somebody who put up with Buck's nonsense for a long-term relationship. But by the end of the movie, Shanice realizes that Buck can be responsible both with kids and life in general. But again, this is a non-canonical TV adaptation, so let's just safely assume that Shanice wound up in the same car accident that took the kid's parents. Cheerful thought, I'm sure. So apparently this insurance lady is, I guess, Guests taking her place, even though she really doesn't have to be there to begin with, other than to speed the plot, and also the fact that Buck doesn't seem to be that interested in her.
4: Sure, I'll be right there. What, you're leaving? Yeah, I gotta get down to the school, there's a problem. But what about us working something out? (laughs) Doreen, do you offer this to all your clients?
2: Well, we are a full service company.
0: <laughs> and while I'm gonna give you a minute to contemplate the irony of that scene just now, Uncle Buck runs to the kids' school to settle a problem. Again, not like in the movie. I'm Anita Horga.
1: Buck Melanoma. Molly Russell's Wart. Not her wart. Not her wart. I'm I'm the Wart. She's my tumor. My my growth. My uh my pimple. I'm Uncle Wart. Just old Buck Wart Russell. That's what they call me. Or uh Melanoma head, they'll call me that.
0: And we should also mention that the vice principal in this show is portrayed by victim of the 1986 Jay Leno show, Miss Lou Leonard. It's anima time. And this scene pretty much plays... Kind of, sort of identical to the scene in the original movie, but instead of John Candy being charming...
2: In
3: my professional opinion, the child is still trying to come to terms with the tragic loss of his parents. This verbal assault on me was simply a cry for help.
4: I bet you get that a
2: lot. (laughs)
3: I've seen this many times. A child loses its anchor, its parents, and so it acts out to, shall we say, get its life back on track. Time
4: out! Maisie is not in it. I was merely being gender non-specific. Oh, what other choices a woman like you have?
2: <laughs> but
4: then again, you didn't call me down here to discuss your sexual problems.
0: And now I would like the ghost of John Candy to please react to the moment that we just experienced. Just l- let...
1: You- no, but... You don't...
4: Would you just... Let me... Let me get Let me
2: get... You're not...
0: I mean, granted, things have become far looser on TV now than they were back then, but try to imagine being a TV viewer in 1990, especially a viewer with a family of your own and watching this.
4: Thanks for letting me know about this, Mrs.
3: Crapier, and it's not Mrs., it's Ms.
0: Ooh, there's a shocker. (laughs) And then wonder why this show was given a 22-episode commitment.
3: Your nephew, blackened the eye of a classmate this morning. All
2: right!
4: <laughs> he finally stood up to that Cerudo weasel, right? And he claims he had your full permission to do so. You bet he did. I told him he had to learn how to handle bullies. If that pat thug came around again, he shouldn't back down. I see. Well, I'm sure
3: that will be a great comfort to Patricia's parents.
0: <laughs> Patricia <laughs> uh, So, to recap This show aired on CBS A network that had been known since time in For putting on sitcoms of A certain level of quality I mean, Lucille Ball, Carol Burnett, Dick Van Dyke Bob Newhart, Ray Romano, Mary Tyler Moore, etc. And just now, in the span of two minutes of network airtime, we get a combination of so-called jokes involving insults to women, as well as the notion of a boy beating up a girl. On a family sitcom. A far cry from the days of Ricky Ricardo, don't you think? The only possible way something like this could be considered to even be remotely justified is if Uncle Buck knuckles down and reminds his nephew that hitting girls is wrong. Miles, I want you to apologize to Patricia on Monday.
2: Why? She kissed me on the mouth at school today.
4: After you gave her a black eye?
2: Yeah, I guess that was why she was picking on me in the first place. She likes me.
4: Well, how do you feel about her? I'd like to give her another black eye. Wait. Does that mean a like her,
0: too? <laughs> yeah, advice that, in retrospect, should not have been heeded by... Insert turbulent Hollywood couple here. ...as Uncle Buck gets ready for his much-vaunted poker game. Alice Cramden, please save this show.
3: Just what in holy hell is going on here? Mrs. Hogan... Doreen called and she told me that you are gambling away the insurance money on hunches. I can explain <laughs> that. Shut up. <laughs> Where are the children? <laughs> Buck, the little guy demands we deal him in the game. Put him down. <laughs>
2: Grandma,
3: you up for some poker?
4: Hi there. To you home? Who are you? I'm David to his date. Who are you? Oh my
3: God. Where is Maisie? He's here at home. We're calling our vice principal. Oh, uh, uh, what? <laughs> See, there again it sounds... Miles, no, also... you come with your grandmother. We have some packing to do.
0: And I'll just bet that instead of emulating John Candy, Kevin Meany wants to emulate Jackie Gleason. For obvious reasons.
2: Bang, zoom!
0: Act 2 begins with the shit hitting the fan, as well as CBS realizing what they stepped into, which may have also hit the same fan, as Buck interrogates Tia's much older-looking date.
4: Who cares how old she is? (laughs) I just want to make sure you two have a good time. Most of all... Safe time. Safe time. Yeah. How's your blood pressure? It's. well, my blood pressure? Yeah. How to check my length Well, No, but what is See, it? See, the after? reason I ask is we lost a couple of guys last month. <laughs> lost? Yeah, because of what T is into. <laughs> What's she into? I'll tell you what. You're not sure about your heart, right? When she asks if you know how to tie a square knot or, or a half hitch, uh-huh. just play dumb. <laughs>
0: Lucky for you, we won't. Show them how it's done, John. Uh, you know a situation may come up,
1: say, uh, uh, for example, someone's been uh, drinking and about to drive a loved one home. Then I like to know I have it, not to kill, oh, no, just to maim. Take a little off the shoulder, the elbow, shave a little meat off the old kneecap. Ooh, you got both kneecaps? <laughs> I like to keep mine razor sharp, too. Sharp enough you can shave with them. Why, I've been known to circumcise a gnat.
0: <laughs> You're not a gnat, are you, Bug? As we continue to see Audrey Meadows be the show's saving grace, the wee ones try to use precociousness to the nth degree to save Buck's ass.
3: I am an old woman, and I haven't gotten over losing your mommy and daddy yet.
2: We and lose them, Grandma. Uncle Bob talks to us about them.
3: Yeah, I'll just bet he does.
2: He says you don't lose people. so like you don't lose a snowflake just because it's time for it to turn into a raindrop. What? Yeah, or you don't lose a caterpillar just because it's time for it to be a butterfly.
0: And believe it or not... That's all it takes to reverse judgment on one's questionable parenting decisions. Oh my! Granted, there would be at least 21 more episodes where the judgment is continuously put into question on a regular basis, but that's another reason why the movies can be better than TV sometimes. At least with a movie, there's a self-contained story involved. Even if there's a sequel that continues the story, the story itself gets resolved within two hours. But TV shows are meant to last for years if they're executed properly. The story is meant to continue and hopefully evolve over enough time so that any of the characters that we meet along the way experience some level of growth and development. Don't believe me? In the movie version, Uncle Buck not only realizes the value of being a responsible parent, but the rest of the family, up to and including the rebellious daughter and the skeptical parents, realize that even the most disorderly of human beings can actually be human, and they wind up treating him with a certain level of respect afterwards. But here...
3: I'll just get my thing. I don't like you, Buck. Never have. As much as I dislike who and what you are, I still don't relish pulling these kids out of their home and school just to live in a strange town with me. They've already had too much change in their lives. So here's the deal. Bob Things stay the way they are.
4: Look, Carrot Top, if you want me to go...
3: things stay the way they are but i'll be watching and the first thing that i see that i don't like i'm getting my scuzzball lawyer to pull the plug you got it, got it i'll see you soon darlings of course you never can be sure just when <laughs> does he have to sit here i'll put a sock in it to you
0: so you see Even though Uncle Buck had already proven himself to be a reliable relative in the movie, albeit with a certain level of circumnavigation, the TV show pretty much treated the movie as if it were an etch-a-sketch. Shake it up, erase it, start all over again. But once again, we feel the need to remind you.
4: Non-canonical.
0: Non-canonical.
4: Non-canonical.
0: And of course, it can't be any kind of a lame sitcom without your standard issue lame sitcom punchline.
2: I'm not going to some stupid high school prom so you can just forget about it. Hang
4: on, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Aha, uh-huh. ha
0: uh-huh. Got any more words, Ghost of John Candy?
2: You're not...
0: Give me a... My thoughts exactly. Let's go to the nine circles. Aww. Limbo. Lust. Gluttony. greed, Wrath. Heresy. Violence. Fraud. Treachery. This show was slated for a 22-episode season, and 22 episodes were produced, but only 16 aired before getting the axe in March of 1991, thanks in part to the show getting slapped in the ratings by The Fresh Prince and also MacGyver. A time slot change to Friday nights later that season didn't help matters, as the remaining six unaired shows makes this one eligible for Limbo. As far as the series goes, not unlike Ferris Bueller, this show was also a pale and poor photocopy of the original and much better source material. Not to mention the fact that they took a self-contained story and obliterated it just so they can tell the story again in an increasingly mutated way. The removal of characters doesn't help matters either, and this results in a show that's heresy compared to what John Hughes could do. To say nothing of the fact that the people that they got to play the TV counterparts of the movie characters were grossly miscast. And, again, don't get me wrong, I loved both John Candy and Kevin Meany. But Meany's interpretation of the character was far more manic and obnoxious than Candy's. At least Candy played the part the same way that he played anything else that he ever did. With heart, humor, and fun, with a dash of intensity. So, of course, not unlike that other John Hughes-related TV show that aired in 1990, This is television. This is real. This Uncle Buck is also a total fraud. And as far as this episode goes, look, I don't want to get up on a soapbox, but I think it's pretty obvious that violence, either expressed or implied, or even that of the cartoonish playground type, should never be condoned. Especially if it's between two kids and one of them is of the opposite sex. And even more especially if this stuff is happening on a TV show aimed towards a family audience. Sure, the movie was a family movie, but it was also one written by John Hughes, who was still at the point where he was towing the line between the rebellion of being a teen and the responsibility of being an adult. But on this show, practically everybody was acting childish and there was clearly no room for maturity. Well, except for Audrey Meadows, but that's because Audrey Meadows can hold her own. She never did go to the moon, and I'm pretty sure for good reason, too.
2: I call you Killer, cause you
1: slay me. (laughs) And I'm calling Bellevue,
2: cause you're (laughs) not. The
0: 1990 Uncle Buck TV series earns four out of nine circles of tele (laughs) And thanks, Satan, this would be the last time somebody would take one of John Hughes' most beloved works and bastardize it to a point where it's far from the default.
1: Fuck. we need someone to watch the kids at any chance you're free. You'll love to have me. I'm lots of fun. Who want to see me jump off the balcony in the pool? Oh, damn.
2: Are you fucking kidding me? I love taking
0: care of them kids, and I do it well. Yeah!
2: Mom, a prostitute taught me to twerk!
0: There's no way he's got this. No, not covering it. There's nothing more that needs to be said. it! DO IT! Fine. I'll do it. But I'm only going to give a brief synopsis because in spite of the fact that this was another unnecessary remake, at least they got more right in this version than they did in
2: 1990. Look what I got Maisie to do. I'm a ride! Oh hell no! It's
0: way harder than I thought it would be. For those who have let time blur too much over the years, Yes, there was a second Uncle Buck TV show that aired in the summer of 2016 on ABC, this time with a much more diverse cast and also better actors, plus a storyline that felt truer to the original. For starters, the parents are alive and Uncle Buck's girlfriend are back in the picture in this version. Unfortunately, this version of the show may have adapted to the movie a little too closely making the stuff that we see just a little predictable. But just because it was predictable doesn't mean they didn't at least try to put their own spin on things. Mike Epps as Uncle Buck is definitely a departure from John Candy, but he's not too bad playing him as a slicked up version of the character versus John Candy being a big hearted slob. And at least it's not as in your face as the 1990 version seemed to go out of its way to be. This show only lasted about eight episodes, and believe it or not, it actually got trashed a little worse than the 1990 version. But I legitimately think this one is actually worth checking out, even if it is a little too close to the original movie. Look for it on YouTube, judge for yourself. What are you
1: hitting me for? You're not the
3: police!
2: And the wonderful lessons continue.
0: Next time on Tele-Hell, all the paint remover in the world couldn't have stopped these shows from existing.
1: Saturday, the Dukes are racing around the world with
0: Boss Hogg hot on their tail feathers. Rock, go, you bang, bang. Saturday morning. Until then, if it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976. And all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again. So why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds? Twitter and Facebook, both at TeleHell Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can and can what you do at patreon.com slash Never heard this ringtone before? Hello, telehelp. Oh, good. I've got the right place. Listen, I don't know if you remember me or not, but we did a review
1: last fall about Wonder Woman. And
0: don't worry, I remember you. You're the kid that goes off on tangents on Marvel comics and probably does more digressing than I do. Uh, Peter, right? I guess you do remember me. Anyway, I normally wouldn't call upon the underworld for any help of any kind, but there's this one thing that we, or at least. I want to cover on our show, but I think that might be a three-person job. The subject looks to be in your wheelhouse. Well, that depends. Uh, what you have in mind? Are you familiar with a comic book character called Nick Fury? <laughs> I may be in hell, but I'm not oblivious. Of course I know Samuel L. Jackson's best-known character, and... Uh, not quite. <laughs>
4: No, he's even uglier than I remember. Your frozen pop sickle. Get it, Andrea, Pop Sickle? You know, that's the problem with the third right. No sense of humor.
0: Wait, Hasselhoff's involved? Why didn't you say so? How soon do you need me there? As soon as you can. And what do I owe you? Whoa, easy there. Just because I work underground doesn't mean I'm reaping souls. Yet. Technically I'm still a rookie. But that doesn't mean there isn't a price tag. We'll discuss that once we get to the surface. Great. Uh, also, uh, is your friend the uh, Captain America enthusiast still there with you? Well, that's why I'm calling you by myself. If Eddie knew you were coming, he'd probably get a crucifix ready after what you did with his comic books. What? Read them? Uh, that That's all you did with them? It does get a little dull down here with nothing but bad TV to watch. When I see him, I'll tell him his comics are safe. All of them? Uh, Yeah... All of them. Don't worry about that. Just give me a few days to get there, and we'll hassle the Hoff.
3: Okay. See you soon.
0: I wasn't kidding. All of his comics are safe. And that includes the one that I had to sell to get this baby. A portable subterranean drill that will get me to the Marvelous Studios for a special crossover on their show. The three of us are going to talk about the 1998 Nick Fury TV movie with David Hasselhoff on their show, wherever you stream podcasts. Oh, it'll be great to be back on the surface again. Now, how do you work this thing? <laughs>